what a privilege it is for me to be able to be uh, the preaching pastor here at this Cornerstone service, and how embarrassing it is for me to follow my announcement video. So I apologize for that going into it. A uh, pastor was asked to preach at a, a district ga gathering, and he was given a 20-minute time period in which to do that. And at this particular convention, a number of pastors in the community came, and they decided to sit in the choir loft so that they could give some moral support and shout out some amens during the service. Well, the pastor got going, and he, and he reached his 20 minutes, and, uh, and he kept going. And he, he went to 30, and he went to 40, and then he got to an hour. By the time he had reached an hour and 10 minutes, uh, a very... Um, bold layperson in the first pew, picked up a hymnal and threw it at the preaching pastor. The preaching pastor saw it coming and ducked, and it hit one of the pastors who was sitting in the choir loft. And as that person in the choir loft, that pastor was falling to the ground, you could hear him shout out, hit me again, I can still hear him preaching. <laughs> if I reach 40 minutes this morning, you can start throwing anything. Let us pray. Let now the words from my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and minds be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You know that when a, a pastor starts getting personal and, and starts um, talking about personal lives and, and things that, that really matter in a way that gets uncomfortable, we say the pastor has gone from preaching to meddling. Well, brace yourself. Here comes some meddling. And it starts with what is happening this coming Tuesday. We're just hours away from a presidential election that has been one of the most divisive that we have ever experienced, at least some of us ever in our lifetimes. And it's, there's been an embarrassing level of bitterness and finger pointing, and not just between candidates and their camps, but between people of faith, people within the same church. And so I want to advise that no matter who wins, that we who claim to be led by the Spirit of God will be the ones who can set aside our political views and come together, that we'll be able to reason together, and that we will work to help restore a very severely divided community and nation. And as our sermon series a while back stated, we really will need to be bridge builders. Do you know that in the last presidential election, 58% of the registered voters voted? Now, while that means a whole lot of people cast votes, it means that there were millions who did not cast votes. And what a sad commentary it is when one considers that many people fought and died for the privilege of people to vote. People lost their lives making sure that everyone could vote, and for some, they just don't think it makes much of a difference. And while you have not heard a whole lot of talk about the election or about how to vote or, or even if to vote, that's going to change this morning. The first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you to vote, and the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you how to vote. Are you ready? Here it is. I want you to vote prayerfully. Jesus prayed before everything of importance that he did, and certainly he would have prayed before he voted. And we need to do that as well. As Christ followers, we should pray for God's wisdom uh, that we would be electing candidates who uh, would be leaders and reflect policies that God would value. But I want to go further. I want us to pray for all candidates, whether we vote for them or not. And I want you to pray for their families. What they've been doing is not a very easy thing. And it's when you've got the mirror on you, when you've got the camera on you, when you've got thousands of cameras on you, uh, you can't help but make some mistakes along the way. So I think we need to be a little bit forgiving 
a little bit of understanding and pray for those, whether they win or whether they lose. Um, and then I also want us to be comforted by this fact. Our God has been using imperfect, flawed individuals to do incredible things from the beginning of time. We've got a book called The Bible that is full of stories of people who were not perfect. And God's even chosen to use people like you and me. So I want you to have a little faith and believe that God will continue to work through our leaders. Voting is a responsibility, though, that we can't take for granted. And as a people of faith, we vote on issues every week, faith issues. We decide what church we're going to. We decide what service we're going to. We decide what ministries and programs that we will be at. We live out our faith and vote on our faith by how we live and how we love and how we serve and how we give of our time and our talents and our treasures. For those who have not met me, um, I'm the Jim from the announcements. I'm Jim Connor. I serve as your executive pastor. And it is my opportunity to lead this service in talking about the third part of our Change Lives, Changing Lives Stewardship Campaign. And as you remember, these four weeks, we deal with four questions, and those questions are now going to appear on the screen in front of you. What do we do? How do we do it? What resources are required? And what is success? And as you look at those questions, I want you to recognize also that David chose to preach what do we do, how do we do it, and what is success? And so the, the one about what's required of you, I get a chance to answer. And, and David chose to be gone this weekend. You know, he went to Guatemala. I mean, you know, that's really, um, and what a great ministry that is. And that's incredibly sarcastic. I'm very grateful for the 17 who are representing us in bringing love and, 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 and receiving love and sharing ministry in such a real and profound way. But it is appropriate sometimes for the executive pastor to talk a little bit about money. And so that's what we're going to be doing this morning. When the Bible talks about what is required of us, we, we come up with several passages. The wonderful passage in Micah 6, verse 8, what is it the Lord requires but that we do justice, that we love kindly, and we walk humbly. And I think many of us really try to emulate that in our lives. And we hope people, when they look at what we do and how, they would do, how we do it, they would say, yeah, that, that person does love kindness. They, they are humble. They are walking with God. But then Jesus kind of takes it up a notch when he starts talking about our money and our resources. You know, Jesus talked more about money than he talked about anything else other than the kingdom of God. So for those of you who believe that all we ever do is talk about money, let me assure you we don't. We talk about other things. But let me also assure you that when it came to money, that was very important in the ministry of Jesus because he knew how money was coming in the way of disciples being disciples. Jesus didn't talk about church budgets. He talked about how money has a way of taking over our life, of influencing who we are and what we do and how we do it. Stewardship is much more than a budget. It's more about our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. The, the passage from Mark of where the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answers, sell all you have, give to the poor and follow me. That's a tough passage for us to hear. And I believe an equally tough passage is from Luke 12, verse 48, when Jesus says, to whom much is given, much will be required. So Jesus did a whole lot of meddling when it came to finances. Change lives, changing lives has been the theme for our stewardship campaign. And we're not talking about budgets. We really are talking about discipleship. 
We're talking about how as a people of faith, our lives have been changed. And now as our lives have been changed, we commit ourselves to helping to change the lives of those around our community and around our world. We're talking about commitment. We're talking about growing our faith. We're talking about sharing God's love in real and concrete ways. We've been blessed the, the past two weekends to hear some testimonies from church members, uh, from Kyle and, and from Kathy last week about how their lives have been changed through the ministries of this church and how in their ministry at this church, other lives have been changed as well. We're equally blessed this morning to hear an interview with Ashley and Harper Stewart, and here it is. Well, we met on a blind date. I was coaching and she was teaching. We just hit it off. Chili's had to ask us to leave that, yeah, our booth. They, they probably, <laughs> yeah, they probably did. We went out dancing. We love to dance. We love to dance. We I had a boat, a so we fished, fishing. fished a lot. So I drug her to the lake because I wanted to take her out on the boat. Yeah, the first fishing day, yeah. I caught the five-pound bass That's right. that you made me throw back in the That's water. Exactly right. I wanted to put it on the wall. <laughs> She's all I could think about, and so. I guess the rest is history, is how you would say that. Probably as close to heaven, you know, as you could get. I don't think we ever had an argument till we brought our first child home. We came and you just like dumped everything on the floor and headed out to play golf with your dad. And I had this little baby screaming. You know, we fished and uh, I enjoyed playing golf and enjoyed going hunting. And when you bring a little one home, it's hard to keep doing those three and being the dad that I needed to be. So three months after we brought the first little baby home, uh, we sold the boat. Family comes before those things. I had to learn that. Learned it pretty quick, but it was hard. It was a change, but it was, it was a good change. One of the reasons that we have such a strong marriage is because we are committed to the path that God chose for us to serve as public educators. It's something we've devoted our lives to. We also believe that God called us to be the parents to the two little girls that we have. That's something we dedicate our lives to. Our philosophy has always been to set a solid foundation. We always knew that our family would be raised in the church, and that would be the center trying to be devoted members with our attendance and our gifts haven't always been perfect, but we knew that was the environment that we were going to raise our kids in. When we moved here, we tried First Methodist Mansfield and just felt an instant connection. Yeah, we felt right at home. We took a while to find a small group. It worked out pretty well because, you know, we need to be taking our girls over there on Wednesday night. And we'd be like, oh, we've got to go over there, you know, and then when we left, we would feel like, golly, I'm glad we did it. We laugh a lot. There have been tears shed, there have been some significant stories shared. If you don't share those things, then you never get to that level with people. I was having a conversation with the coach during lunch duty. His daughter had been in an awful car accident and was left paralyzed. And uh, we got to talking about tithing. I just remember him telling me that day that how the Lord had blessed him so much. You know, how could that not be the first check that he writes every month? And uh, I remember thinking, here's this man that has a paralyzed daughter at home that will live there the rest of their lives. And that, that's always stuck with me. You know, why can't we? Why can't we make that our top priority if he's the one writing that first check? I was finding money for the deer lease, or I was finding money for this, but I wasn't finding the right amount for God. And it was just about making that commitment. I was nervous. I didn't know if we could do it. I, I knew we needed to. You know, where you give your statement a giving card. We weren't close to where we needed to be. And uh, we filled that out and turned it in. Maybe a week after that, uh, we went back. David really hit on uh, having faith in, in God to meet our needs. Sure. Harper called me into the office and he said, we need to do this. God's blessed us repeatedly and he's gonna continue to do it. We're gonna be okay. I've looked at finances. This is what needs to happen. It's what's right. So I guess you changed the card. I called the church and uh, asked that lady to tear up that card and to write this amount in that we needed to make a new commitment. The message that we heard 
on Sunday was a was a game changer and this is what we need to be doing. So many times God has met our needs and it was time for us to step out in faith and we have learned that we have plenty. When I made that phone call and we, and we made that commitment, it just felt like the weight of the world was lifted off, off my shoulders. And now we're giving the full 10% and all these things that we were finding money for but not for God's mission didn't, that doesn't equate. Just like I had to sell the boat uh, for our family and to be a better dad, it was time to move that tithing number to the top of our financial spreadsheet, and that's what we did. We are Ashley and Harper Stewart, and we give to First Methodist Mansfield. What an incredible story, and, and I want you to know that how Difficult that must be for, for a couple to have uh, some cameras coming from the church and to, to be interviewed and, and just to share a little bit of their personal journey uh, about the love that they found in each other and, and the, the love they have in family and, and changes they made as, as they were growing in that family and changes that, that put family first and also uh, put God first and, and put the church first. Uh, we celebrate uh, that kind of faithfulness that that had them call the church and say, we need to change our pledge cards. I, I heard a sermon a couple of years ago, which was actually titled, When It's Time to, to Tear Up the Pledge Card. And, and there was, a th it was three points to that sermon. And the first was this, that if, if giving is a, a chore and not a joy, uh, that you, sh then you shouldn't pledge or you should rip up your pledge card. And, and I really believe that's true. If we're giving out of guilt, um, then, then we're not giving. Um, it needs to be a joy. It needs to be a reflection of, of, of our, our love for God and, and the, the way we've been blessed. Uh, the second was, uh, you can tear up your pledge card if God no longer has a claim on your life. Uh, pledging is a matter of faith. It is a matter of discipleship. It is a matter of commitment. And if God has laid that claim on your life, and if you have made that claim that you are a child of God and a disciple of Jesus Christ, then, then it is important for you uh, to pledge. And then finally, you can tear up your pledge card if you believe the church no longer offers what the world needs. Now, if you're new to First Methodist Mansfield, you might have those questions, but for those of you who've been around for a while, you know very clearly that this is a church that takes very seriously uh, its responsibility, its opportunity uh, to be in ministry for those in our community and those around the world. Uh, mission is in our DNA. We, we care for the under-resourced and uh, we, under-privileged. We, we care for, for those who are the least and the lost, uh, but we also care for the resourced and, and those who are doing very well, but those who might be struggling through, through difficult times in their life, through the loss of loved ones or through painful decisions. Uh, we really are a church that is a ministry, not just here, but around the world. If you didn't think that, then, then we wouldn't want you to pledge to the church. And finally, uh, I just want to let you know that, that we are still willing, if, when you make a pledge, if you decide you want to make it higher, we're willing to rip up that pledge card. So just please know, we'll be happy to give you the church phone number uh, so you have that at your disposal when that time comes. We, uh, we got to get to the scripture. Uh, our scripture reading for this morning, after 30 years in, in ministry, I, I wanted to choose a stewardship passage that I think was one you probably haven't heard before or at least haven't heard in a long time. It's taken from the 36th chapter of Exodus. If you brought your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open up to chapter 36, or you can take the, uh, the Bibles that are there in the pews uh, and open up to page 143. It begins with verse 2. 
Then Moses summoned Bezalel and Oholiab and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring freewill offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they had already had was more than enough to do all the work. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the the word of our God abides forever. I I want you to get a feel for this story. Uh, The children of Israel had escaped from Egypt. Uh, They were on the run. They they weren't able to pack much on the way, and so here they were traveling uh, in the wilderness. And they decided, because they were told it would be important for them to build a place of worship, a place where they could praise God together, where they could, they could remind themselves of, of their commitment to, to being a people of faith. And it had to be something large, but something portable. And so they were asked to bring things. They were asked to bring their gold and their silver. They were asked to bring fine linens. And then an amazing thing happened. A miracle happened. The project workers were receiving so many things that they had to tell Moses to please tell the people to stop. Tell the people to stop because we have more than enough to do the work that God is calling us to do. Now, before I retire, I would love to be able to stand up here and be able to tell you, you know what? We don't need any more offerings. Uh, We have more than enough to do the work that God has called us to do. I'd love to do that next month. But the reality is we're not there yet. God has laid it upon each of us, I believe, that we are called to be responsible in our giving uh, and in our pledging. I think there's some difficulty we have, though, because sometimes we believe that we don't have enough to make things work. And so I I would ask you to think of the Israelites. I'd ask you to think of the widow. Uh, the story where Jesus is in the courtyard with the, uh, the rich religious folks at the time and, and they're all listening very carefully to how many coins and how big the offering is because it made a noise. And this little woman walks in with two copper coins and Jesus said, don't miss this, watch. And she put in her two copper coins and Jesus said, now that's stewardship. That's faithfulness. That's giving. That's giving all that she had. And while you might think, dear friends, that it wasn't much, it was all that God asked. It was all that she had. And it was a witness for you and for me. It's a difficult thing for us to be thinking about what kind of difference our gift can make. The tendency we have at a church of well over 7,000 members is to believe that my gift doesn't make a bit of difference And I would tell you, you're incredibly wrong. You couldn't be more wrong. And I know this true for a number of reasons. Uh, The first is because I'm the executive pastor and and I'm privy. I'm able to look at all the numbers and and I want you to know that each and every one of your gifts matters to us just as it should matter to you. There's two reasons I think that it, it matters. And the first is this. When I talked about tearing up your pledge card, if it wasn't a joy, if it was out of guilt, 
I want you to know how important giving is uh, for our own lives. The Dead Sea story is a story that other pastors have used as a stewardship story. If you haven't heard it, uh, the Dead Sea, you all know, was dead. Um, it is the lowest body of water in the world. Um, it has no fish or plant life, and it only receives water. Nothing flows out of it. So many inlets plus no outlets equal a Dead Sea. So I want you to transfer that to your life and, and to think about my life as well. If all we're doing is receiving and not giving, then we are dying slowly and surely. It is through giving that we truly live, we truly love, we truly serve, and we truly respond to the blessings that God has given us. Here's the, uh, another part of that living. I, many of you know I, I came out of a, a situation where my wife died after several years of, of being uh, disabled and after 27 years of marriage. And I went into a depression. I had a privilege a, a couple of Thursdays ago speaking to our Celebrate Recovery group, and, and I talked about my, my own needs and my own recovery areas. And I, I claimed that I was, had suffered from depression, then I also suffered from independency. And for me, that independency was thinking that, that I could handle it on my own. Shoot, I had been counseling people for 30 years and dealing with the loss of loved ones. I, I knew God was with me. I knew I was surrounded in love, and you know what? That wasn't enough. It should have been enough, but it wasn't. But I walled myself in. I, I, I tried to keep doing what pastors do. And it wasn't that I was going through the motions, but I wasn't as effective as I had been, and it was hurting me inside. Finally, I was able to ask for some help, and uh, the congregation loved on me in ways that really did save my life. But there was something also in the midst of that that really provided some joy, and that was my pledge. I've been tithing to churches for the last 30 years, and, and my wife and I had made a, a very significant pledge, which was a little more than a tithe, and in the midst of my going through all this suffering, I knew that the church was still receiving our financial offerings. I knew that the, what the ch church was doing with those offerings was making a difference, and so I could find joy in knowing that I was participating in God's work even when I felt paralyzed at home in the midst of sadness. To give is to live, and to live joyfully. Uh, here's the second reason that, that our pledge makes a difference and uh, why we cannot rely on everyone else to carry the load. I'm going to put a number on the, the screen for you, and I want you to think about that. We have over 7,000 members of this congregation, and for calendar year 2016, we have 597 pledges. Now, I wish I could explain that to you. I, I haven't been here long enough to, to be able to really get a hold of those numbers. Maybe it's because we, we've always come up with the money and, and we didn't feel that pledging was important. But just as your vote counts and every vote counts, I want you to know that your pledge counts. It is the only way that our lay leadership can make decisions about the ministries that we're gonna be involved in, in in next year and in the years to come. Now, if you believe that First Methodist Mansfield has done all it needs to do, that we can, we can stop reaching out or stop growing in, in our, our care of others, then, then don't pledge. 
But if you really do believe that, that we are a church that is acting faithfully in the way that we use our resources, if you really do believe that this is a church that, that you are proud to be part of and to claim as part of your life and part of your discipleship, if you really do believe that God has blessed you, then, then I want you to strongly consider making a pledge. Next week, we'll be having pledge cards in, in the bulletins. And, and our hope is that we will have a time in the worship service where you can bring your pledge cards forward and put them in baskets in the front of the church. A parade of pledges, an act of worship. And really, pledging is an act of worship as it's an act of discipleship. We're putting cards in every bulletin because we want everyone to come up. If you don't fill out a pledge card, if you're not ready to make a pledge, we, we don't want you to feel guilty about not bringing the card up. We want that to be everyone coming forward with pledge cards, whether they're filled out or not. But if, if you haven't filled out a pledge card because you haven't thought it's important, if you haven't filled out a pledge card because you haven't been asked, then hear this. Please fill out a pledge card. It is the best way that we know as a church what we can do together with God in changing the world in which we live. I'm going to meddle just a little while longer because I'm not to 40 minutes of preaching yet. Um, this week is a week in which we'll celebrate Veterans Day uh, this coming Friday. As a nation, uh, we've done a very, very poor job of being thankful for those who have served us faithfully, for those who have put their lives on the line uh, for the defense of our country, for the defense of, of others around the world, for the people who have fought for justice and, and to keep the peace. And we shouldn't have to wait to once a year to do that. So I want you to be intentional this week about reaching out to the veterans you know and perhaps veterans you don't know and thanking them for what they have given. And while Veterans Day is designed specifically for those who have served and, and are no longer serving, I want you also to, to think about those who gave their lives and to be thankful. And I want you to think about those who continue to serve on our behalf, those who are away from home, those who have put themselves in harm's way. Lift them up in your prayers. Lift their families up in your prayers because prayer is so very, very important to all of us. This evening, we are going to be celebrating All Saints Sunday. It is a Sunday when we will be remembering the 38 church members who have died since last All Saints Day. We will have names appear on a screen. We will have some beautiful music, some scriptures, and some words of comfort. We give thanks for those saints who have gone before us, those who have helped to give us the church that we have, those who have helped to give us the faith that we have because they've modeled what it's like to be disciples. They've taught us by the way that they've loved, by the way that they've served. And no one can be a saint unless they have given. So I want you to be thankful for the saints in your life, and I want you to recognize how important it is that you also take on that role of being a saint for others. Our church was saddened to learn this week of the death of one of our most valued members, and that name's going to appear on the screen in front of you. Someone else died, and someone else's passing created a vacancy that will be difficult for us to fill. Someone else has been with us for many years, and for every one of those years, someone else did far more than a normal person's share of the work. Whenever there was a job to do or a class to teach or a meeting to lead, one name was on everybody's list. People would always say, let someone else do it. Whenever leadership was mentioned, this wonderful person was looked to for inspiration as well as results. 
someone else can work with that group. It was common knowledge that someone else was among the most generous givers in our church, and whenever there was a financial need, everyone just assumed someone else would make up the difference. Someone else was a wonderful person, sometimes appearing superhuman, but were the truth known, everybody expected too much of someone else, and now someone else is gone. We wonder what we are going to do. Someone else left a wonderful example to follow, but who's going to follow it? Who is going to do the things that someone else did? And those names are going to appear on the screen. It's you and it's me. Your vote counts. Your ministry counts. Your life counts. Your pledge counts. I am grateful for the opportunity to serve as your executive pastor and to, to know how faithfully we use the resources we have to make a difference. One final story, one that just continues to just blow my mind. For 30-some years as a pastor, I've always regretted when December comes around, and that's a painful thing to say, to just not enjoy December, because the churches I've been part of, we've always struggled at the end of the year. We always made it, but we always relied on last-minute giving. We always relied on the Christmas offering to help us honor our commitments, uh, to pay uh, the bills, to, to be in the places that we had promised to be, and it was always just nip and tuck. Well, this church wasn't that different from this years ago, but it was years ago. I think it was in 2010 that the executive lay leadership of this congregation made a decision. They decided that they would use the Christmas offering in a different way, that the Christmas offering would go to support, support the Zoe ministries. And so for the last six years, every dollar that comes in the Christmas offering has gone to support the Zoe ministries, that international mission of which 17 of our folks are in Guatemala right now, to the tune of some three hundred and sixty dollars to $400,000 has come in over those six years. It's an amazing story. It's an amazing story of faithfulness. It's an amazing story of, of, of going out on a limb, of, of taking a risk. But there's another amazing part of that story, and that's this, that every December, not only has that money come in, but money has come in in abundance for our regular ministries, and let me assure you, there's nothing regular about the ministries we have here at First Methodist Mansfield. We are a church that takes very seriously what it means to love God and love others. We take very seriously what it means to be in ministry here and around the world. But we have to have more than 597 people who fill out pledge cards. We have to step up. Someone else can no longer do it. It's up to you and me. And we'll see the dividends of that next week. May God continue to work on our hearts and in our lives as we see where God leads us next. Amen.